0: So uh, if you'll follow along with me, um, we're going to read scripture from Exodus 14:5 through 25. And uh, if you're a Hebrew scholar, I'm probably going to butcher a couple of words here. And if you're not, you would never know. So read along with me or just listen. So Exodus 14, 5 through 25. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said... What is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him, and took six hundred chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel, while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at sea by Pi-Haroth. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, "Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which we will work for you today, which, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today shall, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have to only be silent. The Lord said to Moses, "Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the Lord of his Excuse me. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness. And it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left the egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea all pharaoh's horses his chariots and his horsemen and in the morning watch and in the morning watch the lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the egyptian forces and threw the egyptian forces into a panic clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove that they drove heavily And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Let's pray. So, Lord, I thank you for your mighty and powerful hand. And um, I know most of us in this tent have stories of you rescuing us, Lord. And I thank you for this dramatic rescue of your people, Israel. Lord, as you show your power and you show your strength. And God, I pray that today, as Beak teaches that you would use your word, Lord, to instruct us, to encourage us, um, you would speak through him. And we just want to invite your Holy Spirit, Lord, into this place. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: All right, good morning, everyone. I want to invite you to keep your Bible in uh, in Exodus chapter 14. This is a story, if you are able to follow along, I know that sometimes if you have a larger Um, passage it can be harder to follow along but this is the story of the crossing of the Red Sea and uh, this is a a picture a dramatic picture of salvation in the Bible and this story is a a turning point in the nation of Israel and it's mentioned more than 25 other times in the Bible in fact in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 Paul uses it as an example of the Christian life And I think, do we have that, Russell? We do? All right. So this is what the Apostle Paul writes many, many, many years later. And he says, For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And we are all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So this miraculous thing that happens, this parting of the Red Seas that maybe you uh, watched the cartoons of when you were little, Um, This is a a significant point in the Bible to help us understand the the concept or the meaning of salvation. What does salvation mean? So this morning we are going to talk about what does it mean to be saved, and one of the words that the Bible uses um, to help us understand this is the word redemption. And uh, redemption isn't used that often anymore, sometimes you will hear it. As a name of a church, a Redeemer Church, um, but the word redemption isn't used that often. I have vague memories, and uh, I don't know if this happens anymore. But when I was really, really little, I actually collect aluminum cans, like eight or nine years old, collecting little aluminum cans, and you take them and you redeem them for a few, a few dollars. But this word is actually a really important word in the Bible, and it had. Um, significant meaning that had nothing to do with religion and it was used often in battle and what would happen would be is that if um, the, the victor would would walk out on the battlefield and look for any um, soldiers or anyone who was wounded but would also survive they would take them back and they would then send a messenger and say we have this soldier we have this officer we will Allow him to go if you can pay a ransom. And whoever organized this process, this little negotiation, was called the Redeemer. And so a man or an officer or a soldier would be redeemed. And so this picture of redemption means this, that you are unable to rescue yourself, that you need someone outside of yourself to redeem you, to help you. And so this picture here of Israel and the Red Sea gives us an understanding of what it means to be saved and to be redeemed. If you remember your history a little bit in the book of Exodus, the Israelites have already been rescued and that was through the Passover. If you remember Exodus chapter 12, um, the angel of death passes through Israel, excuse me through Egypt and the Israelites the blood of the lamb as protection over their door and so they are set free the Israelites are set free and they are now on their way to the promised land and that's where this story takes place one of the things that's so important to, uh, to understand in the Christian life is that you are set free at the moment of salvation but living free is different than being set free. Living free is different than being set free. I'll give you two examples. One is just, it might not connect with too many of you, but I do encourage you to check this out. There was a movie in 1963, I believe, called The Great Escape. And it was a true story of um, British and American um, servicemen during World War II, 1944, I believe it was, that that there was a, um, a German gulag, or excuse me, I forget. Not a gulag, that's Russian. Uh, it wasn't a concentration It was a prisoner of war camp, but I'm blanking on the name of it. It doesn't matter that much. Other than to say, these men are in camp. It's a true story. Um, the movie was made in 1963. Um, all kinds of famous people in it. But here, here's the point of what's significant about it. The men are able to strategize, and about 70 men break out of this camp and they are free. What happens after that though is only three of the 77 men who break out can live in freedom. The rest are captured or killed and they find out that getting out wasn't the big deal. It's how do you live? How do you live free? And as Christians, I know we struggle with this. What does it really mean to live free? One last quick example. 1863, the Emancipation Proclamation happens. Abraham Lincoln sets free all the slaves. They are free. But can they live free? Do you think a slave living in the South, after being freed by Abraham Lincoln, has all of the freedom and the ability to live as a free man? Or do you think they would live in fear? Do you think they would live in trepidation? And the point of this passage is that salvation is being set free, but living free is harder than you think. I, uh, yesterday, I think it was, or maybe two days ago, I don't recall, I asked Shane, um, I, I found out a few days ago that he was going to sing that song and that song is meaningful to me um, and I, I think it's probably meaningful, more meaningful to you now um, because it, it shares something exactly um, what I'm saying to you this morning. And that is this, that the chains won't let you go, they don't want to let you go. That The things in our lives that lead to bondage, that lead to slavery in your life, are real. And it is a fight to be free. And this is exactly what's happening here. Let me show you. Let's, let's, we're in church. Let's study the Bible for a few minutes together. And let me show you exactly what I'm talking about. So number one, if we're thinking about what does it mean to be saved, save from what? So point number one is this salvation saves you from the things in life that continually want to enslave you. That continually want to enslave you. Here's what happens. The Israelites are set free. They are on their way to the promised land. They are given a long route. Chapter 14, verse 1 says that there's a short way to go. This relates to last week's sermon. There's a short way to go and God sends them the long way. That God's timing is not always our own. They're set free, though, but Pharaoh has a change of mind. So look in your Bible, chapter 14, verse 5 says this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people, and they said, What is this that we have done? We have let Israel go from serving us Pharaoh wants them back the things that Christ has set you free from will always pull you back they will want you back verse 10 goes on and says this when Pharaoh drew near the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly So you have to use your imagination here a little bit. Remember, the Israelites are former slaves. Men, women, children, they're they're walking in the wilderness. And here comes the most powerful military in the world. 600 chariots, the the high-end chariots, and they're chasing after them. And they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Is that really what they said? Now, you have to be able to have a little bit of understanding of the book of exodus but is that really what they said that's not what they said at all in fact earlier in the book the the israelites go out and when moses and aaron bring this announcement that god is setting you free they go into the wilderness with the elders and they rejoice and they worship and they praise god because they are going to be set free And what we need to learn here is this. Is that the things that enslave you today are highly nuanced. The things that enslave you today, the things that want to grab a hold of your life, the things that have control over you, are not simple things. They are complex things. In fact, they have the ability to deceive you these things run deep into our lives because they are saying the exact opposite of what they had said earlier and so we need to understand and think about this for a moment what are the things in your life that continually grab a hold of you is it anger is it anxiety is it isolation and loneliness is it fear these things will not let you go is it your past is it things that have happened in your life in the past that keep coming up over and over and over again and they're chasing you down and they hunt you down and they won't let you go just as in the story here the things that happen in our lives fear Anxiety, frustrations—these things run deep in our lives, and they are very difficult to break free from. And they don't want you to be free from. I have this this little. Let me. uh, I'll say that one of the most powerful things that can happen in our lives is shame. Is condemnation. Is guilt. I'll share with you a somewhat silly example to uh, prevent from getting uh, too personal here. But I remember, I think I must have been a, maybe a sophomore in high school when I transferred to a new high school. And the high school guidance counselor, for some reason, put me in high, high school shop class. And, um, and I grew up around power tools a little bit. So I, it, was, it, it was fine. But I do remember this was in the mid-80s, and things were, I think things were different back then. Let me give you a a quick side story of what shop was like in Port Townsend High School in the mid-1980s. When I first got there, I was a sophomore, and the other, the upperclassmen were telling me stories about a wood building project that they had done, and the guys, the the high school senior football players, decided to build a coffin for their wood project. And (laughs) they They thought it would be funny as a joke if all of them ganged up on the woodshop teacher and put him in the coffin, <laughs> and thought like this is this is like this is their joke. This would be fun. So I was as a sophomore coming out, like a little bit. I was nervous already, and they'd gotten all these brand new tools, brand new industrial-sized table saws and things. And I remember one day using the table saw, and I finished using it and I turned it off and the blade is slowing down and there's a metal guard that you would use to push wood against to cut straight. Well I hit the metal guard while the blade is still spinning before it had turned off completely and I took a big chunk out of the metal guard. Well what do you do when that happens? You look around first, is anyone? did anyone just see what I just did? And then you run and hide <laughs> and hope that nobody sees you. Now. Look, that's a silly thing. That's what we do in life. We do things. And we're embarrassed. And shame runs deep. And we look around. Did anyone see what I just did? Those things run deep in our life. I went back about 10 years ago and visited my high school, and I had to go to the shop, and guess what? It's still there. 20-some years later, the, the scars in this metal are still there. The scars of shame in your life, guilt, anger, fear, they're still there. And Christ has set you free. But just as Pharaoh and the chariots were chasing down the Israelites, guilt, shame, condemnation are chasing you down and they won't let you go. Fear is real. Fear has the power to shape our lives, to paralyze us. I came across an article this week. Let me just show you a couple things about fear. And I think this article was written mostly to millennials. So I don't know if that means 30 and under or what, but here's, what they talked about and the guy started making a joke in the beginning when he talked about how hard it is for him to make the right decisions like he's always he lives in fear he's gonna make the wrong decision and he gave an example of he had a five minute drive to the grocery store and he spent four minutes looking through his phone to pick one song to listen to for the five minute drive and he was so afraid about like could he find the right song to make to enjoy the drive so That's where this guy is coming from. And he writes this how fear shapes our lives. Fear grips us. And he gave a a few examples of how fear does that. Number one, the fear of missing out. We are, we, this is writing, um, he writes this. He says, We are a generation of experienced junkies who are terrified of missing out on anything. The fear of settling. We've been told our whole lives not to settle for anything, especially not in relationships. I see guys and girls in their 30s still feeling out their options, not risking commitment because they just can't settle. Fear of being hurt. It's not all the fault of narcissism and selfishness. In some ways, our generation has more reasons than any before to distrust the fear of commitment fear of accountability we are community phobic because we are accountability phobic we're anti-authoritarian to a degree that inhibits us from seeing the value and necessity of loving correction and accountability for how we use our freedom we avoid community because we are scared of anyone to know us well enough to call us out on anything that is a distinguishing mark of church today. I'm going to read that one more time. We avoid community because we are scared of anyone, for anyone to know us well enough to call us out on anything. We simply don't commit. We date casually, switch jobs constantly, and find the ideal. The idea of actual membership in a church overwhelming. Fear has the power to shape our lives. One last quick article, and I'll just summarize part of it. The, the article was titled "The Modern Man and His Fantasy World," and he talks about three things: number one, pornography; number two, fantasy sports; and number three, video games. I don't know where he got this information, but if it's true, this is crazy. Video games, as a fantasy, as, fan, as with fantasy sports, video games are not inherently bad. However, they are a distraction from reality. Nearly 50% of Americans play at least three hours of games per week. It's interesting that the average age of a game player is 35, a 35 year old man. Fantasy sports. Pornography. Over the last two dozen years, pornography has exploded. Some may call it an epidemic. Young men are being raised on it, and the addiction continues through college years into their 30s and into their 40s. Pornography attempts to destroy the blessings of sex without relationship of marriage. Fear of commitment, fear of marriage, fear of being known, fear of commitment, fear of settling, fear of making mistakes. Those things won't let you go. They're going to chase you. This is why the idea of becoming a Christian, of being saved, is misunderstood. Because you are saved to live free. You are saved to experience freedom, to enjoy these things, to find joy in Christ. Salvation. Is more than justification salvation is objective and instantaneous when you put your faith in Christ you are set free but now you are called to live free we need to be aware we need to understand that what it means to be saved is that you are being saved from things that will continually pursue you that will continually try to enslave you that won't let you go. Number two, how do we experience, how do, how do we renew our lives? How do we live in grace? How do we change? How do we break free from this? Moses says this, chapter 14, verse 13 says this And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. The principle is this. How does salvation work itself out? Salvation is receiving the renewing grace of God in your life every day. Salvation is receiving, not achieving. It is not building your life towards God through efforts of self-help and self-improvement. Here is the principle. Listen to the words, the key words. These are all grace-filled words. These are all words that say, God is doing it. God is in control. God is active. He is taking charge. You have one thing to do, to be still and trust Him. Fear not. Stand firm. See the salvation. God will do it. The Lord will fight for you. You have to do one thing. It's the hardest thing. Be silent. How do you fight these things that want to grab a hold of us? It's renewing yourself, renewing your life in the grace of the gospel. On one side is Egypt, and Pharaoh is saying, kill them, enslave them, get them. On one side is death, and on one side is life. But it's received, not achieved. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who is a famous old, now deceased, medical doctor who turned pastor from England, used to give an example to help people understand Christianity. And he would say this. How are you doing in living out the Christian life? And if the person said, I'm working really hard, I'm disciplining myself, I'm structuring my life, I'm straining, I'm working, he would say this. You completely 100 hundred percent misunderstand what Christianity is about. It is not about you working hard. It is not about you pulling yourself together. It is not about you cleaning your your morality up. It is not about pulling yourself together. It is as we sang this morning, by renewing your life in the grace of the gospel, by understanding what God has done for you, by understanding that you are before Christ, were a slave to sin, and that Jesus Christ gave his life as a ransom to set you free. Not just set you free to get you to heaven, to the promised land, but to give you grace and freedom to live each day that God has given you. Moses then leads the people and the experience here is a crossing over. If you have your Bible, you don't have to turn, but I'm going to show you. This is a, another example of how this is worked out in the words of Christ. Jesus says, He alludes to this crossing over. Most people believe He's alluding to this. Jesus says this in John chapter 5, verse 24. He says this Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes, Him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Has passed from death to life. And so how do we live out this grace? If salvation is being saved from things that enslave us, and salvation is received, not achieved, how do we practically live this out? How do we... Understand the Christian life. Well, one of the things we do is we understand that this world will never give you your ultimate happiness. That in the same way as the Israelites are heading towards the promised land, that heaven and eternal life in the presence of God is our promised land, the picture of the Christian life is this picture that we find in Exodus. That part of it is a wilderness journey. Part of it is understanding that life has challenges. And I won't, we won't turn there this morning, but I want just three days after this miraculous event, a wilderness experience happens In Exodus chapter 16, it says this, that the Israelites began to grumble and complain. So here's, what, here's the analogy of what's happening. The Passover lamb, the Israelites are set free. They're on their way to the promised land. Then they're being chased by the things that want to enslave them. Pharaoh on one side, Red Sea on the other side. God does this miraculous thing and provides a path forward. And God says, you only have to be still. Just receive the grace I'm giving you. Accept the grace I'm giving you. And they do. They cross over from death to life. Exodus 15 is a song, is a chapter of worship where the, the desires and the emotions of the Israelites is worship, that they're saying, thank you, God. And they turn it into this beautiful song. Three days after this miraculous action, Three days after this worship experience, they return back to their grumblings. They return back to complaining. And how do we avoid this? How do we how do we live and move forward in life? By applying the grace of God to your life. By being aware that in the future, challenges will come, hard things will come. How do you prepare for that? by finding your identity in Christ, by being rooted and grounded in the grace of God. Knowing this, that hard things will come. Hard times will come. That's why, I think I wrote this down. Let me just finish up with a a couple of um, specific ways to help us understand how we live out this grace-filled life. And this is just, some points from the New Testament to help you understand this. Along the way, there will be trials, there will be chaos, there will be darkness. So number one, expect trials. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 says this, Do not be surprised at the fiery trials when they come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Christian friends, expect trials. Expect hard things anticipate them. Number two, hate darkness. Romans 12 says this, let love be genuine. Let love amongst us be genuine. Let your love for Christ be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. We cannot be naive that the world has moments of darkness and chaos and things can go from bad to worse quickly in fact often things can get worse than we even understand and so that's why paul says in romans hold on to love let your love be genuine understand that you are part of a community that you are on the journey of life together number three you overcome chaos you overcome evil with good Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I think it's okay for me to share this, and I'll be quick. Just two days ago, a few days ago, I was taking my son to school, and I was running out of gas, and so we had to stop. And I'm backing up to a spot, and. Uh, Another guy pulls in, and I was, wasn't sure what he was doing, and so I'm trying to back up, and he looks at me, and he, I don't know how I can say this, he lights me up with as many cuss words as I've been yelled at in a really long time. And I was like, and Chase, so now my son's here with me, so now I, I have to be like super nice Christian pastor dad. Like, if your dad knows you're a pastor and you're a Christian, like, listen. How do you respond to that? Right? I'll tell you, there's a part of my flesh. Talk about being enslaved. Now, thankfully, God's goodness and grace The Chase was there. Because I'm like, you know what? I I was honestly praying, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Because I want to be nice. Look, I don't, look. Overcome evil with good. There's enough evil in the world, right? And this was just a couple, this was... um, in my mind, Chase and I were talking about you know, what it had, it had happened in Florida. There is enough evil in this world. Who will stop it? Who will stop it? Do you know how powerful anger is? Do you know how powerful resentment is? How powerful revenge is? If someone says something to you, and the closer you are to that person, the harder it is to not have spite in your life we want revenge, we like revenge, we like to get back at people. And I'm saying this, that to live out the Christian life, to live in freedom, you have to renew yourself in grace, you have to expect these things, you have to be willing to overcome evil with good. James says this, resist, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist evil. We are setting ourselves up for problems if we are not aware of the world that we live in. There's a reason why the the exodus um, were led through the wilderness because things are hard sometimes in life. And you do not have a strong enough will to make wise decisions. It's only the renewing grace of the gospel. It's only your ability to say, I need your grace today. I need your grace this morning. My hope is that as we study the book of Exodus is is that we are understanding what God is truly like and he makes a covenant promise to us and his covenant promise is this, that he would send his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us so that we could renew our lives in grace because he lived a life that we can't live and he... Freely gave his life for us so that we can renew our lives in his grace. My hope is that we would renew our lives in the spirit and in truth and in grace. I want to invite the worship team to come up and we'll conclude in worship. And as we do, to enjoy the presence of God, as the cloud and the fire was the presence of God in the book of Exodus. Today we have the Holy Spirit who wants to fill our lives, who wants to renew our lives in the grace of the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful that you give us the story of Exodus to prepare us to live lives of freedom, knowing that there are things in our past, things in our lives that don't want to let us go. And I pray that there would be a renewing in our lives this morning, right now, to live in grace. That your spirit would awaken our hearts to what you did on the cross. Father, the Christian life is impossible without your spirit, without your son Jesus. Keep us on the path moving forward. Give us hope, give us strength, give us courage, to follow you wherever that leads. Thank you so much for what you're doing here in our hearts and in our lives. We ask these things in your name. Amen.